Hello, we are Restoration Church Chicago and welcome to our podcast. You can connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Our mission is to glorify Jesus everywhere, and that includes right here, right now. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. Am I on? You guys can hear? Good. So um, thanks for sharing, Nick. It's been amazing to see Nick and Cindy when they've been on this journey and just see what the Lord has done in them and just keeping them here and how he's added them to this body and just his work. So he's, he's so faithful. And so it's always so encouraging to hear testimonies like that of God's goodness and his faithfulness in our lives and how He wants to speak about every situation, right? And he wants to, he has a plan for every situation in our lives if we're listening and if we're asking him and if we're waiting on him. For those here last week, we began a three-part series on the significance of Jesus. And Hugh started off uh, last week with the vision that John had of Jesus in the book of Revelations, Revelations chapter 1. For those who was here, you might remember. It was John's vision in Revelations chapter 1 that's the risen and ascended Jesus. The one whose voice is like rushing waters. The one whose eyes are like blazing fire. The one who has a sword of truth coming out of his mouth. That Jesus that is so bright, he's brighter than the sun. And that's the Jesus that uh, Hugh shared on last Sunday. And if you're like me, maybe you left Sunday asking yourself, what is my view of Jesus? Do I have the correct view of Jesus? Do I know a Jesus like, we, like the Bible speaks about? Or have I perhaps tainted or twisted the view of Jesus? Have I perhaps left some things out that are not as comfortable for me? And maybe if we're honest with ourselves, we all end up making Jesus look a little bit more like ourselves. Our passions, our political views, the things that we care about. And we avoid the things that are not comfortable for us. His suffering, his authority, his holiness. Christianity is not a buffet. It's not a buffet where we get to pick and choose what we like and what works for us. We need the whole Christ. We need the whole Christ. All of Jesus. The only way to know him more is to not walk past him. It's to not just not even look upon him and just keep going. It's actually to stop and look in the face of Jesus, to slow down. We sing about Jesus and we cry out that we want to know him more. The songs that we sing are, you know, Lord, we want more revelation of you. We pray, but then we walk right past him and we don't stop and look into his face. 
and allow him to speak, allow him to reveal, allow him to love on us, to minister to us, to sit with him. We ask Jesus for his presence, but we so often don't give him our presence. We don't give him our full presence. And I imagine that he also wants our presence for us to give him our undivided attention. There's so much noise in life and we get so caught up in noise. We get oddly comfortable with noise and we're not comfortable with silence. But there's a lot of noise in life, so much. Instagram, social media, phones dinging, notifications, urgent things from work that aren't as urgent as they seem, urgent things from family that aren't as urgent as they seem. All things that seem so urgent but actually are not as urgent as they seem and not as life and death as sometimes we busy ourselves. Well, I've got to, I've got to attend to this need. I've got to... That's noise. Even worship can be noise. We can put it on really loud and blare and we think we're hearing God, but it's just noise. And we hide behind the noise the demands from friends and all the social activities, which really is just a bad case of FOMO that we have, fear of missing out. And we hide behind the noise. But he speaks in the quiet. He speaks in the whisper, in the still small voice. We need the quiet to hear Jesus. We need to be okay with the quiet. It's so easy to get more focused on what Jesus is doing. Even the songs we sing, which I love, they still sing more about the things he's doing and giving us and all the things. And it's so easy to get so focused on what he's doing but not be focused on him. And we love what God's doing because it's so good and he's so good and he pours out his love and he pours out so much goodness on us like Nick shared this morning. And so we can get focused on that, but not focused on Jesus. And we get more focused on the call, the calling the things that God wants to do through us. We get more focused on those things than we are on him. And he wants first place. And he wants intimacy with us. He desires intimacy with us. And I have to confess, I get caught up in those things and I forget that he wants intimacy with me and with you above all things. He wants our realness. Jesus has always been looking and is still looking for a people who are willing to lay everything down for him. Always been looking for that. A people who will consecrate themselves to him, lay everything down, fully devoted to him. I recently was listening on a sermon on worship and the preacher said one of the misconceptions about worship is that we come 
to the altar, lay everything on the altar, which we do at worship. We surrender, we lay everything down, and then we leave the altar and we go back and we kind of do our thing again, when actually we were never meant to leave the altar. We were never meant to leave the altar. We're supposed to stay on the altar, in that place of surrender, in that place of worship, in that place of laying everything down and remain there. Worship isn't singing songs on Sunday. Of course, that facilitates worship. It helps us to enter in. But worship is a life laid down. It's a life laid down. Holding on to nothing. Remember Abraham and Isaac and how precious Isaac was to Abraham, his only son, the promised son that he had waited for. And he was so precious to Abraham that it's possible that he was more precious to Abraham than God. So God put it to the test. And I know we all know the story. God put it to the test and asked him to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. But just at the last second before Abraham was uh, able to sacrifice Isaac, God stopped him because he could see that Abraham's devotion was for him, that Abraham was willing to do whatever God asked, even sacrifice his own son, that he wasn't holding on to anything. He was laying it all down. When we're on the altar and everything is laid down, there's no room for comparison. On the altar, when we've given everything to the Lord and we say, Lord, here I am, I lay all of it down, my gifts, my dreams, everything. There's no room for comparison or envy. Comparison breeds envy. And when, we see, when we're on the altar and we see someone who's further along than us in the Lord, or maybe they've gone deeper into the presence, it makes us want to also go deeper too. But when we're not on the altar and we're comparing, instead we say things like, well, I could do that. I could do that if I had the chance. I should be doing that. I should have that. Or we pick apart people in their ministries, judge, psychoanalyze the things that we do when we're not on the altar, laying everything down. But there's no room for comparison when we are on the altar and we're surrendered to Jesus, when he is our prize and he is our focus. Because when you see someone who's further along in the Lord than us, or further along on their journey, or they're more mature, or they've gone deeper with the Lord, there is a cost. There was a cost to where they went. There was a price that was paid. There's precious things that they have been laid down to go deeper with the Lord. And we have to not, we don't want to like dwell on the cost and be people who talk about the cost because then that's false humility when we're saying, look at all the things I've laid down for Jesus. But we need to be aware that there is a cost to following Jesus and going deeper with him. It costs things, possibly the things most precious to us we have to lay down. But when we're on the altar and we're surrendered to the Lord and someone's further along, we're spurred on to go deeper ourselves and say, Lord, I want more of what you have for me, the anointing you have for me, not the anointing you have for somebody else because I can never have that, but I want the anointing you have for me. 
And I want to talk a little bit about the cost today because um, I've been studying a little bit out of First Peter and enjoying First Peter so much. And I have, we talk about Jesus, and I want to speak a little bit on the unpopular part of like, he is the suffering servant. He is the suffering servant. And I'm not going to shy away from that, even though sometimes that's a part of Jesus that we don't want to look at, right? The fact that he suffered and died, his suffering, his life laid down. If you're like me, sometimes you want to avoid that. But we can't have a correct view of Jesus without seeing his suffering and seeing that he laid down his life. And uh, again, I've been loving Peter in my studies, and I studied it in the winter, and it's because of his Christology, his revelation of the person and nature of Jesus Christ. I love his Christology, and it was so significant. Peter's revelation of Christ was so significant that it's the revelation that God said he can build his church on. That's how significant his revelation of Jesus was. And he had a revelation of Jesus as a suffering servant. More than almost any other writer in the Bible, he had an understanding of Jesus as a suffering servant. But that revelation grounded his identity in Christ. His revelation gave him this sense of identity. It brought him security. And when we have a correct view of Jesus and a correct revelation, we're grounded in our identity in Christ because Christ gives us purpose and destiny and identity. First Peter is a short book. It's just five chapters. It has been called the most condensed New Testament resume of the Christian faith and of the conduct that it inspires. The most condensed New Testament resume of the Christian faith and the conduct that it inspires. So in this short book, Peter covers the essentials of what it is to be a Christian, what we believe, and our conduct, how we live, just in five chapters. That's impressive, right? But what stood out most to me about the book is his revelation that the life of the believer is completely inseparable from the life of Christ. Completely inseparable. Jesus isn't the object of our hope and our faith. Our lives are intertwined, connected in a way that we cannot separate. Jesus is our example. He's our pattern for our destiny also. Our destiny is wrapped up in Jesus. Just like he was called to obedience to the Father, we're called to obedience. Just as he was called to lay down his life, we're called to lay down our life. Just as he was called to holiness, we're called to holiness. And we're called to lay down our lives without agenda. It's very easy to do something for someone if you're going to get something, right? Money, job, favor. But to do something for someone or for Jesus with no agenda and get nothing in return, that's what we're called to. And how did Peter come to this revelation? Peter was the one, remember, who argued with Jesus when Jesus said he was going to go to the cross. Jesus said how he was going to die. He was telling the 12 disciples how he was going to die. And Peter adamantly rejected that Jesus was going to suffer. No way, that cannot be. To the point where Jesus harshly rebuked him. You remember his harsh rebuke. He said, get behind me, Satan. Wow, that's harsh. So how did Peter come to this point? 
But you see, for Jesus to die on the cross in the most humiliating way imaginable was a death that was reserved for criminals, for the lowest of lows. The Jewish people who had awaited their Messiah, their king, for centuries, they could not accept that their Messiah was going to die in such a way. They forever thought he's coming and he's going to rescue us from evil oppressors, from the empires that are oppressing us. He's going to rescue us. And then he's going to fill it, the glory is going to fill the temple again. They could not believe that Jesus would come to die. They couldn't accept it. They didn't know that through his suffering and death was the only way that sin could be dealt with once and for all. And that the glory of God would not fill a building. The glory of God would fill hearts. The hearts of believers, of followers. And then, of course, we know that salvation was made available to everyone. They couldn't foresee that this would happen, and they couldn't believe it. But Peter's journey eventually led him to this revelation of Jesus as a suffering servant, a savior who is perfect, spotless, without blemish, came to deal with what nothing else could deal with. No amount of animal sacrifices, no amount of effort to be faithful and stay faithful to God worked. None of them could deal with the issue of sin, which condemned everybody to death. Sin condemned everyone to death, and nothing could be done about it. But Jesus dealt with it once for all. Only through his suffering and death was there life. And so the very thing that Peter rejected became the heart of his Christology and fundamental in understanding a life of following Jesus. Because like Jesus, we're also called to lay down our lives. 1 Peter 1.15, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Just as Jesus lived a life of holiness, we're also called to live a life of holiness. Skipping to verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The precious blood of Jesus. When Peter's reflecting on the significance of Jesus, it isn't Jesus' moral teachings and ethical teachings that were at the heart of the gospel. It's the suffering servant. He provided atonement for our sins by bearing our sins, taking our sins upon himself on the cross, taking the punishment for them and dying. And that's the revelation that also gives us the courage to say, I can follow you, Jesus, and I'm going to, the best I can, lay down my life as you ask me to because of his example. 1 Peter 2.21 says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. So we're called to lay everything on the altar. Death to self is the only way to follow Jesus. That's the real Jesus. That's the Jesus we follow. It doesn't mean we won't experience God's goodness. If anything, we experience his goodness more. Because we all know that self-focus is not the way to happiness. It's actually focused on somebody else. Firstly, Jesus, and then others. 
that brings greater joy and brings greater awareness of God's goodness. Self-focus leads to depression, anxiety, insecurity, fear. That's what self-focus leads to. So Peter goes on to explain how this truth transforms our whole identity. Peter, when he talks about identity in Christ, when I went deep and studied this book, I mean, I'm telling you, I felt rock solid in the Lord, like unwavering. And of course, that doesn't last very long because we're just humans. <laughs> Hopefully it lasts longer the more we grow. But it, to study Peter's revelation of Christ gives your life this firm foundation, this rock that we can stand on and gives our lives identity. And he talks about first our relationship to the society around us because it changes everything. Our identity changes. And our relationship to society is we're foreigners. We're foreigners. But we're, God, we're part of God's family. Our identity is rooted in sonship. That we're part of God's family. We're children of God. We're sons and daughters of God. And that gives us courage to live for him. Because it's not like we're hired servants. The things we do for God is because we're owning the fact that this is my father's house. This is my father's house. This is my house. I'm an heir. I'm an heir of God, along with all the rights, responsibilities, and privileges that that entails. We have all of it. Everything that is God's belongs to us, but it's to love and to serve and to lay down for others, but we give from a completely different place when we have that revelation of identity, who I am, I'm a son, I'm a daughter in this house. So the truth transforms our whole identity. And we're to grow up and mature. We don't like that very much, but that's just like children have to grow up and mature. We're also called to grow up and mature. And it is a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who transforms us and helps us. In the areas we feel like, Lord, you're asking me, but I don't think I can. Because we all have those feelings. It's the Holy Spirit who grows and transforms us. But we have a role. We have a role to play. We make choices. We make choices all the time. And some choices are good for us to go deeper and grow in the Lord, and some choices cause us to stay where we're at. So we have a role to play. And to grow and mature into the more that God has for us, we need to self-reflect and critique ourselves. Not stay in that place, but we, it does require self-reflection and critiquing. It requires honesty with ourselves. We have to ask ourselves if we have a right view of God and Jesus, or is it a comfortable view? We need to feed ourselves a healthy spiritual diet. Remember Chanel, uh, for those who were here, came and ministered and exhorted us that we needed to become spiritually uh, fit, right? Our fitness. We needed to grow in our spiritual fitness. And that's what this is about. But to grow in fitness, you need a healthy diet need a, a steady, healthy diet. If Toby were here, we could ask him about his diet because it is strict with his bodybuilding. But to grow and mature in, in fitness, we have to choose food that's good for us. We have to eat a salad. 
And if we don't like salad, we have to train our palate to like salad. And we have to train ourselves to like the things that we don't naturally like. Right, Sam? We like sugar. Sam and I like sugar. We would eat all sugar if we could. I know I would eat dessert all three meals a day if I could. Such, I have such a sweet tooth. But we have to train ourselves with our diet to eat what we need and not just what we want. And it's the exact same with our spiritual growth and spiritual fitness that she was talking about. We have to choose what is good for us and have a balanced diet, not just talk about the parts of Jesus that we love and are comfortable, but have a balanced diet. We need all of Jesus. We need all of Jesus. We may be more comfortable with baby Jesus because he's a helpless baby, right? He can't ask very much of us. He's really cute, right? We may be more comfortable with Jesus on the cross because that was for me and about me. Savior died for me, but actually it wasn't. It was for God. He did it for God in obedience to God and for us, but it was first and foremost in obedience to God. But it's not as easy to be comfortable with the risen, reigning king who's going to come back and judge the living and the dead, who no deed will go unjudged before him. And he's coming back to right every single wrong that has ever been done because of his justice. That Jesus is the one that we have to be comfortable with. The one whose eyes are burning like fire that burn right to the heart of us, of every single person. His eyes cut right to the heart. Every facade we build up, every wall of perfection, self-sufficiency, I have it all together today, the things that we do, it will fall to the ground in the presence of that Jesus. There's no room for our facade. There's no room for us trying to pretend. In front of that Jesus, our face is falling down on the ground, not able to move, not able to get up. I know that's strong and I'm passionate, but that is the Jesus that's coming back. And I had to ask myself, is that the revelation of Jesus that I have? That in the presence of this Jesus, I wouldn't be able to stand. I would be face down prostrate. So aware of my sin. So aware of my unworthiness. So aware of un how unholy I am. Our insecurities, our fears, they are sin and they are rooted in pride. I know that's strong, but I'm right there with you. And we realize our complete dependence on Jesus. Right. And suddenly, who we are, it doesn't matter quite as much because it's about him and who he is. And it's in that humble place, that humble place of reverence and awe, that we can look into those eyes of fire, be filled with courage, be filled with faith, be filled with grace. Be filled with everything we need 
to go and do what he asks us to do. And it's in that humble place that we are commissioned by Jesus. We're commissioned in that face down place of Lord, I bring nothing. And then from that place, he gives us courage. And he says, you can't, but I can. Now go. In my strength, go do the things I've called you to do. That's the Jesus that we worship. God is taking us as a church into a season of greater impact and to, into a season of more. And it will require more of us. It will require more of us. And I know if you're visiting today, then it doesn't apply to you, this part of the message. But welcome. We're glad to have you here. And so some practicals for us that I just felt to remind us of is guard our hearts. Guard our hearts in this season. And if this doesn't apply to you today, maybe it'll apply in a month or two months. But let's guard our hearts, thinking the best of one another. Guard against offense. Guard against misunderstandings. Believe the best of each other. Serve from a place of sonship. Serve and do the things we do from a place of sonship. Owning, this is my house. This is my father's house. Without agenda. Unmet expectations come from agenda and they often lead to offense when we have unmet expectations. So guard yourself against unmet expectations. And deal with them, deal with the hurts we have. And reach out. So often people get burnt out in churches because they don't reach out. And maybe they need friend time or we need some perspective or relational time, but we don't reach out. So let's not let that happen to us. I know for me, I'm hugely relational. The one, probably my biggest motivator in life is relationships. And I'm fiercely loyal to the people that I'm close to. And I need that relational time. So reach out, um, connect with each other, join the connect group like we talked about this morning. Reach out. And then we need to have our identity secure in Jesus. We need to have our identity secure in Jesus. I can't stress that enough. To enter the more that he has for us, we have to open our hands. We have to open our hands. And if you feel like you're in a season where God's saying, go deeper or I have more for you, then this is for you. We have to open our hands to the things that we hold on to. Ministries we hold on to, giftings, whatever it is, friendships, whatever it is that we're holding on to. We need to open-handed and not find our identity in those things. We can't find our identity in the things we do. Because then when it changes, our world is rocked and the rug's pulled out from under us. We have to find our identity in Christ and in our sonship and our daughtership. And not hold on. Seasons change. Our identity, is if it's not securely rooted in Jesus, we're shook. And we wobble. And I know we all wobble. We all do it. We're not perfect. It's fine. But at least if we know, oh man, I must be finding somewhat of my worth in that because things feel different and I feel unsettled. Okay, I need to go back to Jesus and make sure my identity is rooted in I'm a daughter. I'm a son. He loves me. I'm a part of the family. Because when we're insecure and God wants to do something new, then we want to hold on to the way things were, right? 
we struggle with change and we are inflexible. And so we don't want to be like that. We want to embrace the new things that God wants to do in and through us and make sure that we're releasing, laying everything down and being flexible as it shows security in, in Jesus. So I'd, maybe I could just pray this morning for us. Um, I just pray for just uh, a greater revelation for each of us of Jesus and just more of those intimate moments with him, for him to minister and speak. So if you guys want to stand, it's because I know sitting gets to be a lot. Jesus, we want to just be still before you, God. We just take the time to look on your face this morning. To calm ourselves and look on you, Jesus. love you, Jesus. We love you. We want to spend more time with the important things, more time looking at you, more time giving you our presence, God. Root us and secure us, Father, in your love. Root us and ground us as sons and daughters of yours, Jesus. I pray now you just minister sonship to people here this morning, God. Maybe some here have felt like a servant or a hired hand or didn't have an earthly father to speak identity over us. Jesus, I pray now you would speak identity over your people. Speak sonship, speak identity, worth, God. I pray for those battling anxiety or working too hard or too much, God, that you would, there's someone here that your hands are tired from working. And Father, I just pray now that you would lift the burden. That you would speak sonship. You would say, I accept you. I love you. You don't need to earn it. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We don't earn your love. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your death on the cross, Jesus, that dealt with sin. Thank you for your sacrifice, God. I pray you fill us with courage today, Lord. Fill us with faith, God. Commission us, Jesus, to do the things you've called us to do. 
It's from a place of sonship and rest, God. We want to be secure in you, Jesus, in your love. Thanks again for listening. We hope you were encouraged. Don't forget to connect with us through our website, restoration.life, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. 